0: Law in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Adam Goldenberg. Working from home can be a challenge for anybody, but there have always been unique obstacles to lawyers working remotely. I'll speak to Malcolm Mercer, the treasurer of the Law Society of Ontario, about how lawyers can overcome those challenges even when you're working from the dining room table and your kids could come barging in on your next conference call. Law in the Time of COVID-19 is brought to you by McCarthy Tetro. We're exploring the law and policy of pandemic response and looking at how governments, organizations, and individuals are managing the impact and meeting the moment. Nothing you'll hear in this or any episode of this podcast constitutes legal advice. But don't worry, whether you're a lawyer or not, and I hope at least some of you aren't, we've got legal information aplenty. And if you are a lawyer, good news. You may be entitled to CPD credit for listening to this episode. Check our website for details. Here's episode nine. Check your privilege. (music) Lawyers keep other people's secrets. For hundreds of years, the laws and rules of privilege, confidentiality, and professional responsibility have sought to ensure the integrity of the administration of justice and to maintain public confidence in the legal profession. The English courts first refused to require a lawyer to reveal what we would now call privileged information in 1577 in a case called Bird and Lovelace. In ordinary circumstances, ensuring privilege and confidentiality can involve, among other things, securing your workspace at the end of the day. But what if that workspace is also your home, and not just your home, but someone else's home too? You've probably seen the clip of Professor Robert Kelly of Pusan National University in South Korea being interviewed on the BBC back in March 2017. First one kid, then another, then the professor's wife all burst into the frame. If you haven't seen it, pause this podcast, Google Robert Kelly BBC, and watch the video immediately. At the risk of sounding like something of a killjoy, Lawyers have a professional obligation to keep snafus like that from happening in certain circumstances. But in close quarters, that can be all but impossible. So what are we to do? And how can our clients be confident that their secrets are still safe with us? To find out, I spoke with my colleague Malcolm Mercer. Malcolm is counsel in and the former co-leader of McCarthy Tetro's National Litigation Group. He's also our firm's former general counsel. Since 2018, Malcolm has served as treasurer, that is, the elected head, of the Law Society of Ontario, which regulates the legal profession in our province. Treasurer Mercer, thank you for joining me. Thank you. So if I can start with the big picture here, a lot of lawyers, including me, are working from home more than usual or for the first time. And as we do that, we're encountering challenges with protecting client confidentiality, ensuring solicitor-client privilege that are easier to maintain when you are working in a law office than when you're working in a home office. What sorts of things do lawyers need to bear in mind as we practice law remotely in this new reality?
1: So I guess what I would say is that the principles are no different than they've always been. It's the the context has changed. And I think there are two things that are important in the context. The first is that uh, when we're working at home, we're not working in, in our usual space. And that has implications. Uh, and the second is we are working uh, remotely using technology to connect, as opposed to uh, working uh, physically with people. Although I must say, the latter, uh, in in ordinary practice, we're pretty used now to working remotely by telephone, at least, uh, and by email. So, on the first point, uh, you know, thinking about the environment in which we work when we're uh, in the current public health emergency. We're working in space which isn't necessarily private. We're working with the families uh, with us. We're working in open space, and that creates issues. You're right to to focus both on confidentiality and privilege because they're different. But the practical point for both is, is there anyone else who can hear or participate uh, in the conversation we're having with a client? That's something we need to be cautious about because if there's anybody else there and the client hasn't consented to that, there's a breach of the confidentiality rule. And as well, there's a risk that solicitor-client privilege might be lost if there was a third party present with the client's consent it would be problematic without the client's consent but asking you know for your uh, for consent to have somebody else be there may well be a privilege breach so that's the the point to be made around the context in which you're working a private room separate from everybody else is The best practice, whether or not that's always possible, that's hard to to be clear about.
0: What if the best practice isn't possible, though? If I'm a younger lawyer, for example, and I share a small studio apartment with my significant other, maybe a kid or two, and there's just nowhere for me to go to take a private, confidential call with a client where there won't be someone else in the room unless maybe I go sit in the bathtub and take the call from there. And I, I know lawyers are doing that as we speak. Are there certain things that from the law society's perspective, it just won't be possible for certain lawyers to do while working remotely?
1: Well, the point to be made first is that it's always the client's decision. Uh, the The problem would be if there was a breach of confidence or breach of privilege or a waiver of privilege more accurately, and the client was unaware of it, hadn't been fully informed. And so uh, I think in theory, the question will be client consent Uh practically i think there are there must be answers most of the time even where one is physically in the same space you know maybe it's a matter of putting uh asking the pe- person you're living with assuming it's an adult simply to uh, to go on headphones and listen to uh, to something else for a time there are ways i think of creating uh, privacy even in close proximity uh, different where you've got kids involved but i'm I'm not sure uh, uh, how the law would uh, would view kids listening to a privileged conversation. In principle, it wouldn't be proper, but I'm not sure in the end it's going to matter a great deal if you're dealing with someone who doesn't understand what's going on.
0: Yeah, there there is no there is no my child barged in in the middle of the call exception to the rule in favor of protecting solicitor client privilege and client confidentiality. I assume, unless unless there is, and I'm just not aware of it. I haven't seen it yet either, but
1: I look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, and in terms of some of the more practical aspects of practicing law, documents and, and using things on paper, which lawyers are, are particularly bad at, uh, at moving away from as compared to many of our professional peers, uh, what are the sort of protocols that lawyers should be putting in place in order to ensure that stuff they have printed out or, or documents that they have on hand remain secure and properly kept confidential despite being in a shared space?
1: It shouldn't be any different than our practices before. What we, uh, you know, lawyers have been taking work home for years. They've been printing uh, on uh, local printers at home. Uh, what's important is to uh, to first of all properly dispose of things in a way which is uh, uh, doesn't breach uh, confidence. Making sure that uh, things are shredded or torn up carefully. Uh, that uh, copies are kept uh, uh, separate. Uh, uh, and secured and that they get returned uh, to the office uh, uh, when that's possible to do that. None of that's a change at all. You know, in terms of using your uh, electronic uh, uh, tools, for those of us who are lucky enough to, uh, to have good document management systems, there's no reason that we can't be working uh, effectively uh, uh, electronically From beginning to end, it may be necessary to make some notes and to do some highlighting, but there's no reason to uh, uh, not to work uh, effectively through the, the electronic system.
0: Now, there are certain things that lawyers have to be in the presence of another person in order to do, and in the presence of has taken on new meaning where social distancing prevents us from being physically in the presence Of other people. Could you tell us about how the law society is interpreting those various rules and how lawyers can comply with them without actually being with, for example, the person swearing the affidavit that we're commissioning?
1: So there are two contexts where uh, being in the presence of someone uh, has been uh, a significant point in the uh, COVID context. One is commissioning uh, and the other is client verification where there is a transfer of funds. uh, in both cases, the, the language is in the presence of, and the law society has taken the position that in the presence of can include uh, video conferencing, where one is able to see the person, one is able to see the the signature being made, you're able uh, practically to uh, to do what would be required by uh, face-to-face communication uh, but uh, face-to-face being over electronic means. The courts have uh, signaled that uh, that is satisfactory from their point of view in the current context. There was a commercial list uh, 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 guidance uh, indicating, uh, in effect, uh, support for the Law Society's position. The Law Society isn't the decision-maker in this, ultimately, uh, at least in respect of commissioning of affidavits. Uh, that's ultimately a matter of general law. But I think in the current context, the position taken by the law society will be respected uh, and accepted by the courts. What uh, is worth noting, though, is that you do have to be cautious. Uh, There are risks of of manipulation. There are risks of fraud. There are risks of uh, mistaken identity would be wrong, but uh, compromised identity. And so... uh, those are all true in the physical presence of a person, but they're more acutely true uh, where you're not physically with the person uh, who's uh, swearing the affidavit or who needs whose identity needs to be verified. And so it's going to be important to pay attention to what, uh, in another context, are called red flags of fraud, but simply things which don't add up. And your obligation will be to make inquiry uh, to do what you can to exclude uh, the possibility of any uh, impropriety and not just to turn a blind eye to things which uh, you should not have done.
0: Once we've had the experience of doing these things remotely during the COVID 19 situation, do you anticipate that there will be a longer term loosening of some of the rules around having to be in the physical presence of an affiant, of a person who is? asking you to handle funds for them or or do other functions that currently lawyers have to physically be face-to-face with someone in order to do?
1: Uh, I think the answer to that is a clear maybe. (laughs) Uh, It's, you know, the the problem is that we we are prepared quite reasonably to take on additional risks where the downside of not accepting those risks is uh, a problem. So when you can't be face-to-face physically with someone, then what do you do? Do you shut down uh, the legal system and uh, uh, commerce on which it's based, or do you find ways to work around? That doesn't mean, though, when we get back to uh, to normal life, that the risks we were prepared to take on uh, are still risks in the in the ordinary context worth taking on. I think people will have to think about it in that way, and I don't think the answers, in all respects, will be obvious. People. As I watch the arguments being made, those who are enthusiasts about change uh, naturally make the argument if it worked here, then it can work in normal times. They might be right, but it's not necessarily the case.
0: Before I let you go, I would be remiss not to ask about law students. There's a cohort of 3Ls that are completing their final semester of law school remotely because in-person classes have been cancelled. And they had been planning to write the barrister's exam and the solicitor's exam in June of this year. That's not going to happen because, understandably, those exams have been cancelled. How is the Law Society going to ensure that those students have an opportunity to complete their professional qualifications and begin to practice on something like the timetable they previously had envisioned?
1: For most of them, it uh, need not be a problem because the exams uh, need only be written and passed prior to the call to the bar, which for the group you're describing, is the spring of uh, 2021. So writing them later is the practical answer to that. There are others for whom that's not true. There are some who, in the current articling year, waited to write their exams or didn't pass and need to to have uh, passed exams before the end of June when they expect them to be called. That'll be a problem for them. It'll be uh, a problem for some of the uh, NCA students, depending on where they are in the system. The question that we have to address, uh, I think, is uh, should there be uh, another way around for that smaller group that uh, uh, for whom in person exams in the fall or the winter wouldn't be uh, the complete answer? And there we've got to think hard about whether the uh, integrity point uh, around in-person examinations can be effectively uh, addressed. We want, uh, obviously, students to be able to be licensed as soon as they reasonably can. We also want to make sure in the public interest, in the interest of clients, that people who are licensed are, are competent, to, competent to start practice. And that's one of the reasons that we've had in-person
0: exams. Treasurer, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Malcolm Mercer is counsel in McCarthy Tatro's litigation group in Toronto and treasurer of the Law Society of Ontario. This has been episode nine of Law in the Time of COVID-19. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and tell your friends to do the same. We also hope you'll send us your suggestions for future episodes. We want to talk about what you want to hear about. You can reach me on Twitter at, at Adam Goldenberg or by email at a.goldenberg@mcCarthy.ca. Pour plus de contenu de McCarthy Tetro, ne manquez pas notre balado de la langue française, Le droit au temps de la COVID-19, animé par ma collègue Christelle Chevalier. This episode was produced by Pippa Leslie, Chloe Thomas, and me. Special thanks to Lara Nathans, Trevor Lawson, Judith McKay, Elizabeth Burks, Ali Adams, Tommy Barbieri, Samantha Chown, Kathleen Hogan, Taryn Hunter, Andrea Watson, Matilda Kramertz, and the entire team here at McCarthy Tatro. Not literally here, of course, but you know what I mean. Make sure you check out our firm's COVID-19 hub, which you can reach from the main page of our website at www.mccarthy.ca. This is Law in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Adam Goldenberg. Thanks for listening and please wash your hands.